First Church Charlotte. Honored to do life with you, honored to do ministry with you, um, honored to do church with you. You make everything better, and so thank you for that. If I didn't get to hug you before church, don't worry. I'll give you COVID later. It's no big deal. Uh, I do love you. I have affection for you. Uh, My title today is this, The Hope Business. The Hope Business. And so, um, smile at your neighbor and say, I had just about given up hope on you. I'm glad pastor's preaching about hope here today. Go ahead and tell them, you know, you know, I've uh, just about given up hope on you. So this sermon must be for me today. Must be for me today. This is, this is a very important weekend in the story of America, the story of us. And this is the weekend where we honor that titan of the civil rights movement, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. And uh, we give thanksgiving to God uh, for the change he represented. Um, God's plan with the gospel has always been to take the brokenness of fallen humanity in a fallen world and begin to change the arc of its progression. And whereas by sin, one by one man, sin entered the world and sin broke the world. Sin broke. In other words, you can't blame God for the way the world turned out once sin came into the picture. I know a lot of critics do that, but they they really miss the point of Genesis, and that's not to be unexpected at all. That's very much... um, they, They blame God for the way the world turned out after it was broken. <laughs> um, the question was, who broke it? <laughs> who broke the world? Um, sin broke the world. And the way sin broke the world was Lucifer invited Adam and ultimately, or excuse me, Eve, ultimately Adam, and to follow in the Lucifer doctrine, which is let's dethrone God and put ourselves on the throne. And rather than us serve God, let's ask God to serve us. <laughs> rather than us submit to God's judgment, let's pass judgment on God. So every critic, and I, I didn't intend to get into this, but let me just let me just cook a little while. <laughs> Um, every critic who passes judgment on God and the world he made is a living, breathing example of how the world ended up broken. Because rather than submitting oneself to God and saying, lead me, speak to me, guide me, etc., they stand in judgment upon God and they then pass judgments on things not only do they not understand, but they are incapable of understanding the evidence, the truth thereof is that necessary reality, comprehension, lesson to any person of spiritual maturity, and that is God's ways are above our ways. That's a fancy way of saying, guys, you're not going to understand. You have to trust. Yes. Yes. Come on now. 
I think that's good preaching. Don't you think that's pretty good preaching? Thank God. Um, so I, I about pulled my shoulder out of joint, pat myself on the back there, but yeah, I'm going to get it, get it, get it recovered here. Uh, point being, uh, the the idea of this, the thing that matters of this is, is that because we're not going to get God, we're not going to understand God's ways. Um, they're always going to be mysterious, which leaves us an option: go your own way or surrender to the ways of God and say, "I don't have to understand to believe." And that's how the bridge is built between what I can understand and the ways of God. Now, remember, there's no risk of me understanding the ways of God. Come on down. That's like asking uh, your dog uh, why you went to work. Right. And your dog's like, really, really? Throw the ball, throw the ball. A ball is enough truth for me. Right. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? It, the, the, it's not that the dog isn't lovely, awesome, the best dog ever. Who's a good boy? That's a good boy. That's not the issue. The issue is the dog is not going to understand why you went to work. What is this work business? That's how I feel, right? <laughs> That's spoken like every teenager in America. What is this work business? And why do I have to leave my phone in the locker? No reason for that. You know the first question all teenagers are going to ask in heaven? The first question, what's the Wi-Fi password? <laughs> St. Peter's going to be like, we have our own way of communication. It's not internet. It's everywhere. Okay, this is getting corny. Dad joke alert. So uh, the Lord uh, makes whole a broken world, and, 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 and that's why as a preacher, I am in the hope business. That's why as a church, we are in the hope business. Not everybody who sang on this platform had a good week. Should I get an amen from the worship team? <laughs> Not everybody who stood up here had a good year. Not everyone who stood up here has their act together. No, we're just good at acting like, right, Carlos? We, we fake it like, you know, we fake it till you make it. We act like we, but the point is, we're not up here because of the example of self. We're up here because we're in the hope business. Yes. And we've come to tell you whatever it is you face, God can make a difference in that circumstance. Whatever setback, whatever frustration, whatever disappointment, whatever self-loathing, whatever anger, what happened to you, we are in the hope business. And we're here saying, yes, the world is broken. Yes, you are broken. Yes, your world is broken. But if you could begin to turn your heart toward God, there remains yet hope for whoever can call upon the name of the Lord. And in a way, the, the life of Dr. Martin Luther King, he, he illustrates that. It's not that the world is whole now. It's that the world is less broken than it was. That's important. That's a distinction. That's all that any of us can do. None of us are a complete package where we make our broken world whole. All of us, through the evidences of the Spirit upon us, make the world less broken. That's why when they bring anger, a, 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 a calm answer will 
turn away that anger. That's why when they want it, they bring an attack upon you, you turn the other cheek. Why would you turn the other cheek to an enemy? Because we're making the world less broken. You are part of God's plan to make a difference in your world. That means your testimony matters. I'm going to say that again. I want a big amen from the center section here. That means, I love the way that sounds. This is the center section right here. You see how that works? From the center section right here, your testimony matters. What God has brought you through matters. My, my second favorite quote from Dr. Martin Luther King, my second favorite, I've read my favorite before, but uh, I'll just give you my second favorite today. Um, if you, you lose hope, somehow you lose the vitality that keeps moving. You lose that courage to be, that quality that helps you go on in spite of it all. And so today, I still have a dream. Hope is fundamental to serving God. It's fundamental to the role of the church in the world. It's fundamental to the testimony of the believer. In fact, hope is such an important uh, element to our faith that it is presented as an image uh, over and over in the scripture. When the people feel like there is no hope, God shows up. Can I have a big amen? When the people feel like they cannot defend themselves, God shows up. When the people feel like they haven't a way, they haven't an answer, they haven't a solution, God shows up. The Bible is a story after story after story, a compendium, an index, a gathering of God showing up. Praise God. But there's something interesting. God doesn't show up when you have a plan to fix it all by your own personal gumption. That's not when God shows up. God shows up on the ragged edge, Brother John, of your need. When you think, I don't have a solution, I can't fix this, all of a sudden it's like God says, did you call? You see, when we can do it, it's almost as though God says, okay, you go ahead, do it, knock yourself out. Hit me with your best shot. Let's see what you can do. It's almost as though, um, I love that image of when uh, the Lord's teaching uh, the crowds in his first and longest sermon, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, He talks about Pharisees, uh, and he says, when you pray, don't do it like them. Uh, They do it to be seed of men. And he says this, this is interesting, don't have time for this, but I've been thinking about it a lot. They have their reward. He's not saying that's evil. He's saying they got what they were aiming for. What they really wanted was an approval of community. They really weren't hungry for me. I think a lot of times we can live that way when we try to solve all our own issues and don't take it to prayer. Oh, that was a guilty silence here at the church. When we try to solve our own issues and don't take it to prayer, let me say it in a more shocking way uh, since I've already got you feeling guilty here. You know, I might as well kick you while you're down, right? Uh, Here is a, a more shocking way of saying it. If you are trying to change something in your life and you're not praying about it, you're not taking it seriously. Anything you want to change, anything you want to change from your diet to the stewardship of your body, yes, you know you need to be working out. That's right. Don't be getting sick. You ate every candy bar in sight and then blame God because you got diabetes. I mean, come on. Don't have time to preach that. What I'm trying to say is everything you're trying to change, are you trying to fix a relationship? Are you praying about it? If you're not praying about it, don't say you're serious about it. Are you trying to be a better parent? Are you praying about it? If you're not praying about it, don't say you're serious about it. Everything, change is the hardest thing any of us do, and when we have to change, we stay mad for 12 months. (laughs) 
<laughs> and when we finally get over that change, we're still a little grumpy about it for some time. Are you trying to change anything? Take it seriously, pray about it, and can some church folks say amen? I don't know how I got onto that. I'm totally lost from what I was trying to say. But I want you to see that God is in the process of making your broken soul better. He's in the process of bringing spiritual healing to you. What you've learned how to do with your past is cope. God's not looking to make you better at coping. He's looking to transform you. So no longer do you deal with it, but now you rise above it. No longer do you suffer through it, but now you rise above it. No longer do you wrestle with it, but now you rise above it. You say, I can't do that. Amen. And again, I say amen. But God's in the hope business, and God can do what no other power can do. And so um, I want to take you to a very depressing pas passage of Scripture because you all know I'm a very depressing preacher and um, I, you don't feel religious until the preacher has you depressed. So let's, let's get where I can depress you so you can feel like you finally were religious today. Are you ready for this? Lamentations. Lamentations is the saddest book in the Bible. This is where you think to yourself, I don't know if I can deal with this. I, I made myself come to church and the preacher's preaching from Lamentations. Here's the thing about Lamentations, written by the prophet Jeremiah, and it is intentional, poetic mourning. Intentional, poetic mourning. Intentional, I don't mean sunrise, bacon, bacon and eggs mourning. I mean mourning with an O and a U. Mourning, poetic mourning. The whole of the book is really to place into poetry that transcendental feeling of what it means and what it seems like when you have struck the very bottom of human existence, when there's nothing left for you to make whole. You're on the bottom. And now set it to poetry, and you basically have the book of Lamentations. So if you're ready to be depressed, somebody say, I'm ready. Thank God. I am the man. This is chapter 3, verse 3. I'm reading the Living Bible because I love the Living Bible, and it helps us hear with fresh ears. I am the man who has seen the afflictions that come from the rod of God's wrath. He has brought me into deepest darkness, shutting out all light. He has turned against me day and night. His hand is heavy on me. He has made me old and broken my bones. Man, holy moly. He has built forts against me and surrounded me with anguish and distress. He buried me in dark places like those long dead. He has walled me in. I cannot escape. He has fastened me with heavy chains, and though I cry and shout, he will not hear my prayers. He has shut me into a place of high, smooth walls. I couldn't climb out of this place if I tried. He has filled my path with detours. He lurks like a bear, like a lion, waiting to attack me. He has dragged me into the underbrush and torn me with his claws leaving me bleeding and desolate. He has bent his bow, named it squarely at me, and sent his arrows deep into my heart. My own people laugh at me. All day long they sing their ribald songs. He has filled me with bitterness and given me a cup of deepest sorrows to drink. If you live long enough, my brother, my sister, my friend, if you live long enough, you'll drink the cup of deep sorrow. Now, 
If you haven't yet, God bless you. I hate you a little bit. <laughs> there, is, uh, there is a cup of deep sorrow. If you live long enough, life will present it to you with a smirk. He has filled me with bitterness and given me a cup of deepest sorrows to drink. He has made me eat gravel and broken my teeth. He has rolled me in ashes and dirt. Oh, Lord, all peace and all prosperity have long since gone, for you have taken them away. I have forgotten what enjoyment is. All hope is gone. My strength has turned to water, for the Lord has left me. Oh, remember the bitterness and suffering you have dealt me, for I can never forget these awful years. I can never forget these awful years. If you live long enough, dearly beloved, you will be able to say with the prophet, I will never forget these awful years. Always my soul will live in utter shame. All right, I have taken you. I have taken you down the slide into the depressed end of the pool. And if you still want to run around and be happy, then you probably are the one who bought that Powerball ticket that somebody won in North Carolina over the weekend. That's the only way you can read Lamentations chapter number three and be like, mm, no problem with me, no problem with me. I'm going to buy a car. I mean, God bless you, but I'm telling you, this is the bottom, okay? Now, uh, having taken you through the bottom, I want to tell you the story about a picture that I, I, I didn't have it in my notes, but I actually bought this picture yesterday, and they're making it up for me. They're order, I ordered it, and I'm putting it up in my office. Uh, and the name of the picture is Hope. Hope. And it was painted by an artist by the name of Watts, if I remember correctly. I don't have his information in my notes. Um, and if you were to look at the picture, what you would see is you would see the earth in the bottom half. And if I had been more organized, I would have brought a picture to show you, put it on the screen. But um, I, did, I do have a video to show you in a few minutes. So I'm stepping up the cool curve. I'm, I'm trying. But I don't have the picture of hope. I'll show it to you another time. Um, but if you saw the earth and it took the bottom half, there is a woman uh, sitting astride the earth. And she has her head turned away from the camera and she has a harp here and she's playing a harp. Remember, the name of this is Hope. The name of this picture is Hope. She's playing this harp. And if you just glance at the picture, you miss something very, very crucial to the picture. If you look close, you'll see that she's been beat up. If you look close, you'll see that her face is bloody. If you look close, you'll see there's a bandage covering one of her eyes. If you look close, she's turned away as though she doesn't want you to see how beat up she is. She's embarrassed by the violence. She's embarrassed by the blood, do you see? And she wants to turn away from the picture. And if you look closer, you'll see that the earth itself is not displayed in beauty, but it is as though it has been scorched by fire in places. And sitting astride a broken world, herself broken by violence, hope sits and strings a harp and plays a song that things have got to get better. I'm not giving up hope that things are going to get better. I'm not losing my faith that somehow this broken world is going to be made whole. I'm not giving up the belief that my God's a healer. Somehow, some way, the great physician is going to step into my life. 
somehow, some way, healing is going to flow into this aging body that I live in. Somehow, some way, there's going to be a, a light that shines brighter than the darkness. I am broken. I am bloody. But I am not the end of the story. There is still hope. One of the most beautiful images of the Old Testament is the story of the shepherd who goes looking for a lost lamb. He looks for a lost lamb, and like all shepherds, he, he retraces his steps. So what does the shepherd do? We know the Bible tells us he makes safe the 90 and 9. And then what does the good shepherd do? He goes retracing his steps. Where could I find the lost lamb? And he does not find the lamb. What he finds is a kill site. It's too late to save the lamb. He might have hoped it would be somehow nestled in a, a glade or protected by a thicket, but no, he doesn't find a lamb. He finds a kill site. And there is only the blood of uh, the predator spread as the feeding uh uh, frenzy would happen. And the Bible goes so far as to say the only thing that is left is two ribs and a piece of the ear. The shepherd went looking for the lamb, but what the shepherd found was a kill site. Let me tell you the story of the gospel. If you go looking for the lamb of God, the first thing you'll find is a kill site. We call it Calvary, where our sin nailed him to a cross, where our sin stretched wide his arms, where our sins mocked him where our sins harmed him. You looked for the lamb and what you found was a kill site. But I've come to tell somebody the gospel of hope. The kill site is not the end of the story. You should have in your heart this hope. The kill site is not the end of the story. Because if you look close on that great day where all the house of God is gathered in the book of Revelation, you look and what do you see? Behold, a lamb as it was slain. That's not the end of the story. The prophet in the Old Testament uses the teaching image like this. Even if the shepherd can only find two ribs and a piece of an ear, there is not uh, acceptable end. The shepherd is also the great shepherd. And the great shepherd is also the creator. And the creator is also the great physician. So if all God has left with you and your world is two ribs and a piece of the ear, then I'm here to tell you, God is in the hope business and God can restore and God can rebuild and God can renew everything you have lost. I wish someone would stand right now in this house. I wish you'd lift your hands and say, God, I give you my world. Would you make us whole? I give you my family, oh God. Would you make us whole? I give you my heart, oh God. Would you make us whole? God bless you. You may be seated. I know you were hoping I was done, but I'm not done. I've got a couple more hours to go just so you are fairly warned. Um, so let me tell you a lesson from uh, history. 
uh, one of the great explorers, uh, Vascos de Gama. I wish I could say that with a really proper Spaniard accent because they have such a dramatic Vascos de Gama, something like that. I don't know. Anyway, he was a great explorer, and uh, there was a, a, a really a, a real need to find a way to get the wealth of Europe to the wealth of Asia because they both had things that they had too much of and things they needed, and if they could exchange, they both would be richer. Um, we call that capitalism. It's a terrible system, but it's much better than everything else that's ever been tried. Um, that's all you need to know about capitalism. It's a terrible system, better than everything else. Similar to democracy, terrible system, better than everything else. Um, so how do we get the wealth of Europe to the wealth of Asia so we can make all of us richer by exchanging what we have too much of for what we don't have enough of? And so uh, the problem was if you go east, there's a great big problem, really, really big problem, one of the biggest problems in the world um, called uh, Africa. It's right in the way, so you can't get to Asia. Um, it's a glorious, amazing continent, amazing everywhere, amazing people. But if you want to go to Asia, hmm, it's like, nope, can't come through here, got to go around. Well, going around Africa is incredibly long, incredibly dangerous. And so uh, various powers that be said, if we could find a way to Asia, to the West, um, man, we might get, just think how much how rich we would be um, if we could do it. And so um, this is where Vascos da Gama comes into the story, and he he is trying to find a way to Asia going west, not east. And so uh, he finds out there's problems everywhere. Um, you know, it's not just uh, a problem uh, down south, the landmass of Africa. There's this big problem going west, and it's called America. Huge problem. Um, uh, north, northern hemisphere, the southern hemisphere. I mean, just uh, really, uh, we were looking for a better plan, and this is what you've given us. And so he says, well, we'll go south and try to find a way around, and he does. And he was the first one to circumnavigate um, the southern tip of uh, the Americas. And uh, he, uh, they almost died. Um, the storms were unlike anything he'd ever been through. Uh, the waves were unlike anything that he had ever seen. And the problem we know now uh, was what uh, geographers and sailors called the Roaring Forties. Now, if you think I'm talking about music, I'm not. The music of the 40s was not roaring. It was sweet. You probably need to get to the 80s where all good music came from. And then you can get some real roaring music from the 80s because finally in the 80s, people, you know, they got their act together and they learned how to roar. Um, I'm talking about latitudes. So latitudes, how the earth is measured bottom to top and various numbers represent latitudes. At the bottom of the earth, if you go south below the point of Africa, the point of, uh, of South America, you're in the roaring 40s. The, the thing about this is to understand the problem, you have to understand uh, what happens to a hurricane when it runs into land. Now, you've all been exposed to this. Um, a hurricane hits land, it's a Category 5, and what happens? Um, within one day, it's almost a Category 1. It might be a Category 2, but within one day, it's almost as though you just put the brakes on because the land mass does what? It stops the freedom of the wind, and the storm immediately starts. Now, if the storm moves back off sea, what happens? It gets stronger. It'll jump right back up to a Category 4, Category 5. So think of a landmass as saying to the storms, y'all calm down now. Okay, just calm down. Calm down. Now, storms are still devastating, and, and they're nature's way of reminding us that we're pretty small. Um, but when they hit landmass, they start calming down. 
There's no land in the 40s, the latitude of the 40s. There's no land down there. And so literally, a storm can circle the southern part of the globe and never hit land. And so a storm theoretically could essentially never die out down there. So if you go down there, instead of a normal wave at sea being, say, like a sea state, I don't know, five or six, I, I don't, I'm not a sailor, but um, I could have uh, Brother Scott give you a whole lecture on this and enjoy doing it. Um, the point is, is uh, those waves that maybe are in the North Atlantic or South Atlantic would maybe be 10 feet down in the roaring 40s. They can be 40 feet and wave after wave of 40 foot tall um, uh, waves. And then when it never hits landmass. So the moment you cross into the roaring 40s, it's like being in a nonstop storm. Now, having told you that story, I want you to watch a short two minute video of a sailing, a race team that races sailboats that are going into the leg of the most dangerous part, which is the Roaring Forties, around the capes uh, that exist. And uh, they're going to play that right now for you. And I want you to watch them, not me, not a preacher in the South, (laughs) watch them explain what they're about to go through. think there's anything that we've seen so far that's going to compare to, to what we're about to, to encounter. It's the unknown for the people that have never been down there. You know, they've only got what they've read or heard about the Southern Ocean to go by. I've never been in the Southern Ocean. I've never seen waves like I think we're going to see. I mean, um, basically, they're going to be like cliffs. It's a classic Southern Ocean, and uh, man, you know, it's shaping up to be. I mean, already that yeah, you know, we're delaying the start for two days because we have one of the biggest weather systems coming through that we've had come through the South Pacific in the last thirty years. This is what the Volvo Ocean Race is about. It's about leg five. and you'll feel here it's like nothing else you'll ever feel. It is really hard to stay warm down there. There's, there's, you know, we don't have any heating on board and everything's wet. It's down to stupid things like making sure you have dry socks to sleep in. I mean, if you start getting frostbite in your feet or anything like that, it's that can turn into a massive problem out there. Sometimes the conditions on deck are a lot easier to manage than the conditions down below. There's so many people down there breathing hot air that the condensation is incredible, so it's like living in a rainforest, really. No one has yet taken a Volvo 65 into the Southern Ocean, ever. So none of us, none of the teams yet know how this boat is going to fare in those conditions. Sam is going to be the one that will really have to step up if something happens, so that's, that's going to be tough for her, I think. There's always that thing at the back of your mind, if something goes wrong here, we're on our own. I mean, we are going to be completely dependent on each other, yes, for performance, but yeah, also for our lives. I'm a little bit scared, but I'm also a bit excited. We just have to focus on the positives, you know, we're ready for this. This is what we're trained for. 
Yeah, so I'm glad they're doing that. They can have all of that they want. It's not the 40-foot-high cliffs alone of water alone. It's not the wind, which a calm day, the wind could be, you know, 30, 40 knots. Um, it's not the band of storms alone. It's the fact that the water, all the water you see coming over the bow of that boat, all that water is uh, just a little bit above freezing. And so trying to survive in that environment is just about as storm-struck a reality as anyone could ever hope for. And that, without modern technology, without modern uh, selling, without modern insulation, that is what uh, Vasco da Gama sailed his wooden ships into to face that. And when they saw the end of land and they turned west, uh, they looked and saw the cape and the name that they came up for for that cape at the very bottom of South America uh, was not what we know it of as today, which we know it today as the Cape of Good Hope. That's way too positive a name for them. They named it the Cape of Storms because the storms never stopped. There was no break. I want to speak to somebody here today who you feel like you have spent a little bit too long sailing around the Cape of Storms. You have cried too many tears as of late. Your sleep has been too troubled as of late. And you wonder if maybe you shouldn't open your Bible to that professional poetry of sorrow and mourning and read the words of the prophet when he says, uh, I, I, I will never forget these awful years. Maybe that's how you have lived the last few weeks of your life. But I want to tell you this, as a preacher of, a, of the gospel here today, I am in the hope business. As a church, we are in the hope business. When we gather on this platform to sing the songs of the Lord, uh, we are in the hope business. So I have one request for you. Don't stop reading in verse number 20 when you say to your world, I can never forget these awful years. Let me say it this way. In the valley, don't buy a house. Don't build a, shepherd, a shelter. But in the valley, I want you to keep on walking because the next verse is going to say this, verse number 21. Yet there is one ray of hope. I wish someone to preach that with me here right now. I want you to raise your voice and say it with me. Yet there is one ray of hope. What's keeping you up at night? What is hurting your heart? What has filled your life with tears? I want you to think about it for a moment and then I want you to turn the page and I want you to say, yet there is one ray of hope. And what is that hope? His compassion never ends. It is only the Lord's mercies that have kept us from complete destruction. Great is his faithfulness. His loving kindness begins afresh every day. My soul claims the Lord as my inheritance. 
therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is wonderfully good to those who wait for him, to those who seek him. It is good both to hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Someone put your hands together and give God a shout of praise in this house right now. Musicians, you can come. So why did I tell you the story, the story of uh, Vasquez uh, da Gama and him naming uh, the southernmost tip of South America the Cape of Storms? Uh, And why did the name change? Because here's the deal. When you find yourself in the place of storms, when you find yourself, if you, you can't get out of the storms, what you have to do and what the sailors realized is that you just have to turn the corner. And if you just will turn the corner, every day is going to be better. Oh, y'all didn't hear what I said. I'm going to have to preach to this side of the church. I thought y'all were going to get that, but y'all, 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 y'all weren't working with me. I, I want to say this to you. If you just can make the corner in your life, Come on. if you just can turn the corner, how do you turn the corner? Somebody needs to call upon the name of the Lord and say, Lord, if I could fix it, it'd be fixed. So I'm calling on the name of the Lord. If I had a solution, it'd all be okay. I'm calling upon the name of the Lord. What is your plan? Well, my first plan is I'm not stopping in the middle of the roaring forest. I'm not stopping right here. There is nothing for me here. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn the corner on the season of my life. I've tried, I failed, I failed, I've tried. I'm going to turn the corner on this season of my life. And let me tell you a reality that the sailors discovered on the other side of the Cape of storms was the biggest sea anyone had ever found and it was weirdly calm it was so calm they called it the pacified sea or the pacific if I know that if I just can make it around this corner, I'm preaching to somebody here today. You need to reach out in your spirit and claim this for yourself in Jesus' name. Don't let the word of God be a source of entertainment for you. Let it be faith spoken into your life. Say, I stand right here and I claim that in the name of the Lord Jesus in my life, what I'm going through, what I'm facing. If I just can turn this corner, God has a bigger place for me than I ever imagined. And it's surprisingly smooth. The waves are surprisingly small. The sun is weirdly warm. Everything is going to get nicer over here. In fact, it might just be that just over there is a place called Hawaii. Yes, Lord, send my servant. It might be that it's a calm sea. And if you know tomorrow's better than today, you will rename the Cape of Storms. And you'll rename it the Cape of Good Hope. The Cape of Good Hope. I'm preaching to somebody here today. I don't know if you're getting, I don't know if you're eating what I'm serving here today, but I'm preaching to some folks here today. 
If you know God has more for you on the morrow, see how I went King Jamesian right there? The Lord has more for me on the morrow than in the moment. This storm is not going to be a cape of storms. It's going to be a cape of good hope. Everything you're surviving is God whispering to you saying, there is yet one ray of hope in your life. And that is this, God's mercies never fail. I said God's mercies never fail. Stand with me all across the house. I feel the presence of the Lord in this place right now, in a very rich place. I am preaching the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your life may be so messy that it, the only thing left is the remains of a kill site. I'm here to tell you right now, that's all the good shepherd needs. He can restore everything that you have lost. He can rebuild your hope. And so the journey ahead is brighter and the storms ahead are better. And this moment of your suffering ultimately gets renamed and you look back and you say yes I was hurting but let me tell you what happened as soon as I turned the corner everything started getting better all right one last illustration most of you guys know I'm a cancer survivor and if a lot of times I don't tell the story but um, I'm always amazed at how many people are touched by cancer and many of you people know uh, people in your life and maybe even some of you have been touched by cancer um, let me give you some insider uh, knowledge here um, if, if you ever have to go through chemotherapy you'll be fine yes you'll be sick nobody cares um, you'll be fine you just have to get through it Okay, you have to get through it. I have known people who didn't have the courage to face that kind of sickness, and they've refused treatment. Now, I, I, don't, I don't mean they didn't have good prognosis anyway. I, I, I'm somewhat sympathetic to somebody who they're only going to be given a few weeks or months, and they want them to go through H-E double hockey sticks for a few weeks or months. I, I don't know that I would, you know, the risk reward may not pay out in that situation, but I've known people that actually had fairly decent prospects and they refused treatment. And if you talk to them, um, and I, I usually don't push them, um, but the people who do that for a living, a lot of times there's such a fear and uncertainty of the, the misery, the sickness uh, of chemotherapy. And uh, chemotherapy hits you hard, I'm not gonna lie. It hits you hard, but I'll never forget my wife uh, telling me when the doctor was trying to... So I'm a cut-up. I make jokes about everything, and the doctor didn't think I was taking it seriously. And so uh, I'll never forget one day he sat there and he said, Mr. Elms, you know what? Uh, I keep hearing your jokes, but I, I want you to tell you, I, want, I don't think you're taking this seriously. I need you to take it seriously. And I was like, I'm taking it seriously, doctor. It's laugh or cry. I choose to laugh, so... <laughs> If I ever stop laughing, I'll be laid up on your shoulder howling, okay? Snotting on your white jacket. Don't even care. Um, so he gave me all the horror stories. And they, you're, you're pretty sick. I'm not going to lie. But, you know, I, you're not brave. It's not like they give you a choice. Do you choose to do this? No, you, you, you're sick. Um, the attitude that you deal with, that's the bravery of it. You can pick your attitude. But um, after the doctor said all that, and he looked at my wife to try to get support from her to make sure that I, you know, I was serious. Because that's what everybody does. They think if they can't talk to me, they talk to my wife. And he looked at her and, and, and she looked at him, she looked at me and she said, look, here's the thing. I will put you through hell in order to keep you. 
and that's the first time I slapped her ever. No, not really. Um, <laughs> she said, no slapping of wives. We don't have that problem here at First Church. We have the other problem. Wives slapping husbands, but enough about that. She said, I'm perfectly willing to put you through hell as long as I get to keep you. And I was like, okay, I love you too, honey. Um, here's the thing about it, though. Chemo, chemo itself is kind of, it's, it's, you'll be very, very uncomfortable. Um, but the worst of it is, is not the ordinary sickness. The worst of it is when you make a mistake and you eat the wrong thing. Um, or you make a mistake and you're exposed to a, a, a sickness um, and your immune system's just shot. And uh, that's the worst of it. I'll never forget that happened to me. And I'll never forget sitting on the side of the bed, just rocking back and forth. I was, and I'm telling my wife, I don't know what's wrong, but something's wrong. I don't know what's wrong, but something's wrong. I don't know what's wrong. And yes, um, something very quickly became very wrong. And I will spare you the lurid detail, although you really want to know. You really want to hear. But just trust me to say, it was very, very dramatic, grotesque, and unmentionable. And my wife did what she could for me. And there came a point when I told her just to just leave me in the bathroom. And I'll never forget laying there on the, the tile. And I had I was I was freezing and sweating at the same time. I was holding it, I was just shaking, and I was crying. I was pitiful. I'm not I'm not strong and brave like you guys. I'm a big sissy. I'm laying there and I'm crying. And I realized I did not know it was that possible it was physically possible to be that sick. I thought you would die before you got that sick. And I, I want to tell you, your body is amazing. <laughs> your body can take much more than you think it can take. And I'm laying there thinking, how am I not dead? That you cannot be this sick. But here, here's the reality. Here's the reality of it. That moment, if you quit in that moment, what you're saying is my future could never be as good as this is bad. That's what you're saying. You're voting with your feet. And the reality, and I've heard, I've heard multiple cancer patients sitting in the treatment room say this, life just isn't that good. I've heard that from multiple people. Life just isn't that good. And I begin to think about that. Is, is that true when people give up on God? Because of your pain? Because of the church hurt? Because someone did you wrong? That church just wasn't that good? I want to tell you, quit judging it by church and start looking at Jesus. Jesus really is that good. Don't give up on your faith. There is yet hope. Even when you sit with the prophet who writes in the prose and poetry of misery, if you sit there long enough, he's going to look at you and say, all right, now we've cried enough. Let's remind ourselves of this truth. There remains one ray of hope. There is one ray of hope. I want you to somebody say it with me right now. There is one ray of hope. So this is my plea with you. Don't get out of the hope business. <laughs> Don't stop singing hope. Don't stop praying hope. Don't stop preaching hope. Don't start coming to the house of God. If you have to drag yourself in here by the hair of your chinny chin chin, don't stop coming to the house of God. You stand in his presence and they say there is one ray of hope. 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 Look at somebody say there is one ray of hope. I am in the hope business and I've come to tell you there is one ray of hope. 
if you just won't quit, if you'll just turn this corner, if you'll just turn your corner, the wind's going to start going down. The waves are going to start going down. The pain is going to start going down. The tears are going to start drying up. Faith, weeping endures for the night, but joy. you're visiting with us today, first of all, let me say thank you for taking a chance on us. It's always a big deal to take a chance on a church. I'd love you to come across the parking lot to First Steps and get to know our pastoral team. We have an amazing team. We'd love to get to know you. But more important than any of that, I believe God would like to touch you right now in your life and your heart. And so we're going to go into the, the prayer the prayer service time. We do this on Sundays. We have a prayer service. And uh, I'm going to ask you, if you need to go, you can go. If, if that, That's not a problem. But I'm going to ask you not to hurry away. I'm going to ask you to linger around. Those of you who I've been preaching to and you know who you are, I'm going to ask you to be really honest with yourself. And I'm going to ask you to come down to this front and say, somebody pray for me and let our pastoral team anoint you with oil. I'm going to believe that in this moment right now, everything can be changed. Why? There is one ray of hope and that hope is Jesus Christ. That hope is Jesus Christ. I'm bringing uh, Pastor Amelix right now. He's going to lead our prayer service. Please don't just rush away. Step out listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text Give to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.